the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sorry, new. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. See, the, the primary point of Christ's parables to teach all who follow him that it isn't our job to figure out who the tares are among the wheat and to assault them with violent judgment. That's not our job. Whose job is it? That's the job of angels. And they will do it perfectly. Not now, but at the end of the age. What a fearful thing for any unsaved person when the angels harvest the tares from off the earth. There is certainly no hope for the unbeliever in the outer darkness and torment of hell. This parable clearly shows that the responsibility of separating the wheat and the tares belongs to the angels. Too many Christians try to make judgment calls on other folks when our responsibility is to examine ourselves. Welcome to another radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel where Steve has been pastor for over 30 years. His verse by verse exposition of scripture has given great teaching to his congregation. Some of the best of Pastor Steve's sermons have been compiled into a book called Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd. This book will be sent to anyone who sends in a gift of any size to Verse by Verse. The mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can also contribute by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. Our phone number is 727-239-0306, and our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. That address again is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. This 207-page book will be a great resource in your Christian life. Our teacher is ready to bring us the last of three classes on the parable of the wheat and the tares. Here is Pastor Steve. Let me give you an overview of what these words mean, and then let's examine the key point that Jesus was making in this parable. These words by our Lord are a description of what will take place at the end of the age. This is after the rapture, then the tribulation, seven-year tribulation period, then Christ returns. He's telling us when he returns, what will happen to both unbelievers and to believers, just as the reapers in this parable at harvest time, will separate the false wheat, the tares, from the true wheat, God will also, at that harvest time, do the same thing. When Christ returns to the earth, he will send his angels, who, note this, who, unlike Christians, will be able to infallibly discern those who are the counterfeit Christians. He'll send them in order to separate them from true believers. These angels will then throw pretend Christians called stumbling blocks. Why? Because they work against God and cause others to stumble over the truth of Christ. 
He also called them those who commit lawlessness because they are characterized, their whole lives are characterized by disobedience to God. The angels will then throw them into the furnace of fire which speaks of tormenting fires of eternal punishment. The angels will then gather all the believers, Matthew 24, 31 tells us, from the four corners of the world, they will gather all true believers, the elect, and they will have them enter into the fullness of Christ's eternal kingdom where they will shine forth like the brightness of the sun forever and ever. Now, that's an overview, but listen very closely. The point that Jesus was making is that in this age we now live in, this kingdom without the physical presence of our king, Satan opposes Christ by planting counterfeit Christians in our midst. Oftentimes, they look very similar, as we've said. These counterfeit Christians say they believe in Jesus. They, they tend to join Bible-oriented churches. Sometimes, they're even in the pulpit. Sometimes, they have teaching positions in those churches. And the devil's goal in all of this is to hinder the work of God. In fact, let me show you no better illustration than this found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When the Apostle Paul dealt with the Corinthians, he realized that they had been influenced and infiltrated in their church by false teachers who claimed to be genuine apostles, and they said that Paul's a phony apostle. They said that Paul is a fake. And, and the entire letter of 2 Corinthians is him defending himself and his integrity and the validity of his ministry. Notice 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 13. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful. Notice that they are deceitful workers because what they claim to be, they are not. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, he says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. They're just like him, he's saying. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. He said that your church has been infiltrated with false Apostles, they are ambassadors of Satan. And notice, verse 26 of the same chapter, Paul says that they've influenced him. They, at least they've tried to hinder him. He says, I've been on frequent journeys, verse 26, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, those are the Jewish people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea. And note this, dangers among false brethren. Those who claimed to be true Christians, but they were not, Paul said, and we don't know the specifics, but they in, in some way threatened Paul. You have the same truth in Galatians. Paul writes of the Galatians, and in fact, it's his strongest letter, uh, attacking those who came along with this, to this church and were called legalistic Judaizers. They said to this, to this church, it's not enough that you believe in Jesus salvation is by believing in Jesus plus keeping the works of the Mosaic law. And Paul completely denounces that. It is an attack on the integrity of the gospel. That's the whole, the whole point of the letter to the Galatians. They try to lead the church astray from the message of salvation by grace. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 2 how they infiltrate the church in pulpits and key teaching positions. Verse 1 of 2 Peter 2. For false prophets also arose among the people, meaning in Old Testament times amongst Israel, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Notice it's secretly. 
they're going to just kind of be there. They're going to come in unannounced, even denying the master, the sovereign one who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, notice how they hinder the church. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. He says they're going to come in, they're going to, they're going to try to hinder the work. Many will follow them. They're going to exploit you. They'll malign the truth. They'll lead you into sensuality. God will judge them. Jude says the same thing. The little book just before Revelation, Jude verse 4, says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. He means crept in the church. Churches, unnoticed. Those who were long ago marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Licentiousness means they're saying you can do whatever you want. Grace means that you're free to do anything you want. You want to behave anyway? It's all right. Because you know what? You're saved by grace. You don't need to, to have any high moral standards. Now, sometimes these false believers are easy to spot because in the case of these folks, they teach clearly heretical doctrine. I mean, if somebody says they denounce and reject the truth of the deity of Christ, you know that they're an unbeliever. That's rather clear. And you also know they're unbelievers if they stop pretending to believe in in Jesus. They went out from amongst us, John says, because they were not of us. If they say, no, I no longer believe that, I reject the Bible, that's very clear. They're unbelievers. But sometimes false believers are not so easy. To detect. They're, they're just like tares among the wheat. You and I don't have the ability to tell them apart. Now follow me closely. In the story that Jesus told, the parable, he explicitly had the farmer tell the workers not to pull up the tares. Why? Because they might mistakenly uproot and damage some of the wheat. He said, allow them to grow together until the harvest time, the end of this age, when the reapers, who are the specialists in this area, who can infallibly discern who's a believer and who's not, they'll separate them. Now, the point of all this was to clearly tell his disciples, his zealous disciples, and sometimes overzealous disciples, that like the workers in the parable, they were forbidden to go around and try and figure out who were unbelievers in their midst and violently uproot them. You see, all of them had that same antagonistic attitude that James and John had towards unbelievers. They wanted to judge them, call fire down from heaven, destroy anyone who stood opposed to the Savior. But in this parable, Jesus is teaching them and us that we are not to try to determine who unbelievers are in our midst and attack them, either violently or verbally. Instead, we're just leave them alone because we can't tell who they are. And at the end of the age, the Lord We'll sort it all out. If we're not careful, we're going to damage genuine believers if we don't follow this. Now, now, how does this truth apply to us? Because I, I know you must have questions. So let me, let me try to work through this and give you some various truths and applications that come out of this. First of all, this parable is a great reminder to us that God's people are never, ever to violently uproot people from the church because they suspect them of being unbelievers. Now you may think, isn't that obvious? When, when would a church ever do that? Well, that is precisely what the Roman Catholic Church has done through the ages. They've done that at certain points in their history as, as the Roman Church has tried to purge from herself those who she suspected of not being Roman Catholics. 
I remind you that the Emperor Constantine in the 4th century did this when he required people to profess faith in Christ or else be put to death. And I remind you during the Crusades in the Middle Ages, the the same Roman church was violent against those who did not agree with her theologically. And I remind you that she did the same thing during the Protestant Reformation by torturing and executing those who understood that salvation was by grace through faith and not human works. So it is relevant. It is an important reminder to us. See, what Jesus wants us to understand that, that as his people, we aren't to do that. We are not to violently uproot people from the church and assault them in the name of Christ. Why? Because this time period that we're living in is not a time of judgment. It's a time of grace. It's a time of mercy. It's a time of compassion. It's a time of evangelism. Listen, even Jesus, though he's the ultimate judge, did not judge his enemies while he was on earth the first time. Remember at the Lord's Supper, the the last Lord's Table, the Last Supper, he offered Judas his love and friendship. He offered him the meal and to dip with him. And those who placed him on the cross, he asked, he asked, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as his followers were to be just as kind and gracious with unbelievers, trying to win them to Christ, not attack them, either violently or verbally. Second important truth that comes out of this parable is that those who are true believers are not able to infallibly, and I underline infallibly, discern who false believers in their midst are. Like the farmer's slaves, we can't be sure who the tares are from the wheat. And if we try to yank out the tares, we might end up damaging some of the wheat by falsely accusing them of being unbelievers. Let me just tell you that there are churches who do this, and we don't want to be like that. There are churches who have uh, people who are afraid to admit any kind of struggle in their lives because they might be accused of being unsaved. And so everybody sort of hides that everything is fine in their lives, and it's not fine in their lives. They just don't want to be transparent and admit it. We don't want to create an atmosphere like that here. We don't want people going around saying, oh, if you're struggling with this sin, you must not be saved. We, we don't want that. That's, that would be wrong. And that's, that's really an applicable principle that comes out of this. We are not to accuse people when we don't know. We can't see their hearts. Now, let me, let me just try to balance this. This doesn't mean that we should refrain from telling those who clearly reject salvation by grace that they're lost. We should. If there are people in our midst, in our church, who say, I don't, I don't believe the gospel, we have every right to tell them Then you're not saved because that's clear. That's what the Word of God says. They're lost. It's clear. It's based on what they've told you they believe. This parable is not saying don't say anything to people like that. And we should certainly encourage those who claim to know him but are living in total disobedience to Christ to examine their own hearts to make sure that that they really are Christians. We have every right to do that. In fact, we're, we're supposed to do that. So understand the Lord is not saying that we can't question anybody when it's very clear. But there are times when it's not clear. And I think that Christ's words ought to serve as a serious warning to us that we need to be very careful in telling those who profess faith in him who's a Christian and who isn't. In fact, we ought not to do that because we don't know. Not when they resemble Christians so much. See, sometimes we just can't tell. Because why? We don't know people's hearts. 
We can't read into their hearts. And as I said, let me reiterate this again. We certainly have every right to tell those who reject the gospel that they're not Christians because that's clear. Certainly have every right to tell people to examine themselves and see if there's any evidence of Christ's character in their lives because that's clear. But we need to be careful that we don't dogmatically tell professing Christians for sure you're, you're not saved. Because in doing so, you might indeed be telling some of God's true children who just haven't matured very much that they're lost, and they may not be. They may genuinely be saved. That you just don't. There may be fruit there, you just don't see it. Now, having said that, we need to be careful also that we don't read too much into this parable and dismiss the biblical doctrine of church discipline. There are some who, who have done that because they're afraid that in purifying the church by disciplining sinning members, that they might be violating the teaching of this parable. But I want you to know that church discipline has absolutely nothing to do with this parable because church discipline is a loving process. It's not an assault upon anyone. It's not a verbal assault. It's certainly not a violent assault. It's a calling of a professing believer to repentance for his sake because you love him. You want him or her to be back in the fellowship. Let me show you this. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15, we read, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. That's a loving thing. If you see somebody in the church who claims to know Christ and they're in ongoing sin, that's unrepentant. We're not talking about struggling with the sin. We're not talking about somebody who says, Oh, I did this wrong. I know I shouldn't have. We're talking about somebody who continues in a sin. You see it. You love them enough to go to them privately. You don't embarrass them. It's not a public deal. You go to them privately. I've observed this in your life and I want to point this out. And why do you do that? Well, the verse goes on to say, if if he listens to you, you've won your brother, meaning you've won him back to fellowship. He repents of his sin. It's a loving thing to do. In fact, to leave him in his sin is an unloving thing to do. But verse 16 says, if he doesn't listen to you, what if he says, go away? I, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I'm doing and nothing's changing that. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So after confronting that person, calling them to repentance, if they say no and they continue in this sin, then before long you come back with a few other people and you confront them again. And these people are witnesses to what's been done. This is a very loving process. This is not a witch hunt. Third, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, now you have a few people who are calling this person to repentance. He refuses to listen to them. You tell it to the church. You mean you go public? Exactly. You tell it to the congregation. Why? Because the congregation now is to call that person to repentance. It says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Then that means he is no longer considered a part of the church. You have put this person out publicly. Why? If he acts like an unbeliever, and he certainly is, after this whole process he doesn't repent, then he's to be treated as an unbeliever. Unbelievers are not to be members of the church. Members of the church just for believers. He's no longer considered a part of the church. He's not acting like a believer. So you... Treat him now like an unbeliever. How do you treat an unbeliever? You treat him as you would a tax collector and a Gentile. How would you treat a tax collector and a Gentile? You try to win them to the Lord. 
you lovingly evangelize them. That's what, that's what the Lord is saying. You try to lead them to Christ because he's probably not a believer. He's acting like an unbeliever. See, the, the primary point of Christ's parables to teach all who follow him that it isn't our job to figure out who the tares are among the wheat and to assault them with violent judgment. That's not our job. Whose job is it? That's the job of angels. And they will do it perfectly. Not now, but at the end of the age. Jesus said the angels will throw these unbelieving tares into the furnace of fire where they will experience continual punishment so that they will have continual weeping and gnashing of teeth in torment. Hell is not a place where people say, oh good, now I'm with my buddies, I can do whatever I want. You're isolated. Jude says it is total darkness. There will be ongoing weeping. The gnashing of teeth speaks of torment. And then Jesus closed his interpretation of this parable by calling each of us to take heart to the meaning of the parable. So here's, here's the point. He said in verse 43, He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. How do you take heart to this parable? Two ways. Number one, first make sure that you are wheat and not a tear. Are you wheat? Have you really repented of your sin and become a loyal follower of Christ? How would you know if you've repented of your sin? Folks, there's going to be the evidence of godly fruit in your life. You'll have desires to obey. You'll want to read the word. You'll want to be with God's people. You'll want to fellowship with the Lord. Yes, there'll be sin in your life. Yes, there'll be struggles. But in the very heart of of your heart, at the very core of your being, you want to obey. And there will be obedience in your life. You'll struggle with it. You'll want more. But there'll be fruit. Attitudes will have changed. Values will have changed. Actions will have changed. If there's no fruit in your life, then you need to make sure that you've trusted Christ before it's too late or else you'll wind up in hell weeping forever, gnashing your teeth. And those who are wheat, those of us who are believers, need to make sure that we have the right attitude towards the tares. That's what this parable is really about. We are not to be antagonistic towards them, towards any unbelievers, but especially those in our midst. And we're not to try to figure out who they are, who the saved are, who, who they are. Let the Lord sort it all out. Our job, just keep tossing the seed. It's about for prayer. Make sure that you're a believer. If you're not sure, then call upon the Lord to save you. Make sure you've repented of the most essential sin of all, or the heart of all sin, I should put it that way, and that is having you on the throne of your life. Who's running your life, you or Christ? If it's you, and that's all that's going on in your life, you determine everything. You set the standards. You're the captain of your ship. If, if that's what your life is about, then you're not a believer. You're not a believer. And you need to turn to the Savior, repent of your sin of being self-willed, and trust Christ to save you. He'll give you a new heart that will desire to follow Him. And if you really are a believer, then may I urge you, make sure you're not on a witch hunt. Make sure that as a church body, we never create an atmosphere in which we are spiritual detectives and we're, we're, we're quick to tell people, you're a believer, you're not a believer. With some, it'll be obvious, but not with all. With those who it's not obvious and they haven't clearly spelled it out for us, be very careful. Be very careful. 
Let people have the freedom to share their struggles. Let people have the freedom to be transparent. And let's minister to them. Let's be careful that we don't verbally assault people. We want the same loving attitude that Christ had. Father, thank you for this parable, a neglected parable, Lord, sometimes a misunderstood parable, but I pray that its truths will grip our hearts. I pray for some, Lord, who perhaps think they're in the kingdom, but they're not, and only you know, the Lord knows them that are his. Pray that you'll deal with them. I pray, Father, that you will help all of us to maintain loving attitudes and and not misapply this teaching of the parable. May we not refrain from telling those who are clearly not believers that they're not. But those who it's just not clear, Lord, help us. Help us to be very careful. We don't want to damage your precious people who just haven't grown much and we, we can't see the fruit, but it's there. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to make sure that we're careful with our attitudes and what we say towards people in the church. And we pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a joy to have you in class today. On tomorrow's class, we will begin looking at the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. I hope you can join us as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues to open up for us the parables of Matthew 13. If you have any questions, please call us at 727-239-0306. We'd love to help you find the answers you are looking for. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. Encouraging you in Christ. Long before the pain, God was there. Long before the struggle, God was there. Someone want to ask somebody that was going through a trial, this is where was God when the tragedy happened? The answer was the same place he was when it was all good. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.